Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. Welcome back everyone to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I'm here with Rob. We're on a call. And we're here to talk some football. We didn't get a pot out last week. Rob was in the middle of midterms and I had a busy week at school. So we're back this week. We're good. I don't know if we'll talk about the Illinois game. I'm not sure. I'm sure it will get brought up because of how awful it was. And <laughs> but besides that, we're we're not going to mention it. It was forgettable at the best. Rob, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there for a uh, business school? Oh, it was great, man. Finished up our last midterm yesterday on Saturday. Uh, so wrapped that up before college football started, which was great. So yeah, now I can kind of take a step back and breathe again. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been fun. Still have time to watch the Who's. That's always a priority. I did mm-hmm. plan my Saturday midterm around that. So good. yeah, good to, good to be back, man. It's good to see that Carolina hasn't totally changed you and still <laughs> focused on the Who's. Did the did the Tar Heels play this weekend? They did not. They had a bye, um, but they're oh, all really? geared up down here for the Notre Dame game next weekend. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. If only Notre Dame zero. was good. I know. <laughs> Carolina's defense isn't any good, but their offense might actually be pretty good. So yeah. it could be an interesting game. Well, we're uh, our team is sort of the opposite of that, where our defense is mediocre. And our offense has been pretty bad for this season. So we'll we'll talk about that. We'll get into it. Rob, let's I think we'll start with the ODU game, talk about that and how we really escaped from disaster yesterday at the in the last few seconds. And uh let's start off by talking about some things that we liked about the game yesterday. Anything that you noticed yesterday that was encouraging or made you feel like this team's going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, the defense overall played really well as a unit. Um, you know, nothing nothing but good things to say about them there. And I do think there were some great individual performances yesterday. Uh, mm. Sticking on the defensive end, you know, I thought the safeties played really well. Those sophomores, Jonas Sanker, uh, Lex Long, both of those guys played great games. Um, you know, move over to the offensive side of the ball. I think we have something in Xavier Brown. We talked about him after the Richmond game. Like, mm-hmm. I think we have something there. He reminds me a little bit of Alameda Zacchaeus. You know, when he was a freshman, he would get on the field and 
his speed was so apparent. And mm-hmm. I kind of get that same feeling with Xavier Brown. Uh, and Keaton Thompson, you know, really bailed this offense out at times. Uh, nine catches, 118 yards. That 56, or sorry, that 45-yarder was a big one. Yeah. Um, really important to get some momentum going on offense. So there were some great individual performances. And, you know, even for an offense that struggled a little bit, they did move the ball. It was just the turnovers were killer. Um, I think Tony Elliott said they left something like 20 points on the table. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that. So it wasn't a pretty game on Saturday, but there were some positives for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anything you took away from that game? I I love what you said about Xavier Brown. I thought he looks great. Uh, This is a, I threw out this name to some of my friends I had over. They didn't know who he was because they're not true fans like you and I. I, I said Wally Lundy. A little bit of power in there too. He broke away from some tackles, but also has that breakaway speed. I don't know. I was like six when Lundy played. <laughs> that from what I remember, Xavier Brown runs similarly to him. So um the old the old hats are gonna call me out for that, but I don't I think that, you know, he because he's got that speed, as you said, but he uh there was one run against ODU where he uh like three guys had their arms on him and he he knocked one down and and ran through some arm tackles too. So he's got some power to him, but he's also, as you said, pretty fast. And I like what they were doing uh, with uh, the. They gave him a, a couple tosses. There were some jet sweeps thrown in this week, which I really enjoyed seeing because we do have some speed on that offensive side of the ball. You know, they gave the jet sweep to Keaton, and he got some yards with it. So I'm excited to see us using the edge a little bit more with the rushing game, which we really didn't do at all last year. Uh, all of our rushing last year was either off tackle or up the middle. There's barely anything trying to get to the edge of the field. So I'm, I'm glad I was glad to see that. And as you said, the 500 yards of offense was really good, especially after a, an abysmal week against Illinois, where we only had um, two, 222 yards as a team against Illinois. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, doubling that, uh, more than doubling that against a you know, albeit a much worse team in ODU, but still I think it's a I think it's enough that it's it's a good step in the right direction, I think, for a team that I think is still trying to find out who they are and and find their footing. Yeah, totally agree. I mean what, 513 yards of total offense for UVA against Old Dominion. 229 of those came on the ground. So they, you know, we know they want to run the football, and they've mm-hmm. talked about that. And I think they're having success against, you know, no disrespect to Richmond or Old Dominion, but against the teams that they're supposed to be, teams that mm-hmm. are not Power 5 teams. Now, Virginia's going to get a stiffer test with that, like they did against Illinois on Friday against Syracuse. Uh, but I think there's some positives there for sure. And I think Xavier Brown is a revelation. You know, Paris Jones did some great things. He's a smaller back. Xavier Brown, also a smaller back, but he's just got that extra gear in him and he can really fly. So I'm really excited to see how they're going to continue to using him. I mean, nine rushes for 88 yards. Uh, it's pretty good, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited what we have in him. And, you know, I think, I think while we're on the offensive side of the ball, that that's kind of what went well 
and the offensive line wasn't great. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty good in the run. They yeah. struggle in pass protection. Yeah. Uh, but I think we do need to kind of talk about the offensive shortcomings a little bit uh, mm-hmm. in this game. And it's not just the fumbles, although the fumbles were killer. There were a lot of drops by the receivers. That's the third game in the row. We've seen some drops. Mm-hmm. Brennan Armstrong, you know, really just doesn't look comfortable. He delivered some great balls. I mean, the pass to Lavelle Davis on that game-winning drive was a really gutsy play. You know, he yeah. threw some good balls to Keaton Thompson. He threw some nice balls to Dontavian Wicks, although Wicks dropped a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you still see the talent that he has, and he's so much more comfortable when he breaks out of the system. Uh, but there were some concerns there. I'm, I'm still not convinced this passing game is totally clicking. Uh, do you agree? Like, how do you feel about that? The passing game is whack, and I don't know what's up with it, whether it's the play calling that is if or if it's something with the players not not letting their stuff i was talking to my dad today and he i was really kind of down on the team and he kind of talked me back over the ledge he mentioned the 500 yards how they're doing good he also said that he was listening to and he forgets and i don't know but whether it was after the illinois game or if it was after odu and <laughs> who said it he didn't know if elliot or kitching said it but he said one of the coaches was talking about how the receivers last year did a lot of option routes. A lot they had a lot of choice in their in their game where they went and how they got there. And Brennan was more comfortable with that. And Brennan knew that and he trusted his receivers. This year, the coaches have taken that piece of trust away. And I don't know if it's because they haven't allowed them, they haven't called plays with the option routes, or if they haven't just or if they the or if our offense just doesn't really have option routes and they, the receivers are apparently supposed to go in certain places with their routes. Now, if the receivers aren't running the right routes, if they're not where they're supposed to be, or if Brennan isn't going through his progression in the correct order, then that might be a reason why the passing game is all out of whack as not because the receivers and him don't trust each other. I think that's, I think that's, that's not true because he, they had a great year last year. They definitely know each other really well and kind of what they're thinking, but it's a totally new offense. And so they really have to relearn where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to get the ball there at the same time. And so I kind of agree with that where, you know, if you're learning something completely new, after doing it a completely different way last time, it's it's gonna there's gonna be some growing pains, and I think that that's what we're still continuing to see. Now, I will say there was a few drops from Wicks, especially in the first quarter, where it was there was one egregious one. It was right in his hands, and yeah. it just popped right out over the defender's head. And, and that was a third down too. And yeah. it, it actually reminded me very much. It was on the opposite side of the field, but he had a similar drop like that against Virginia Tech last year, actually. Mm-hmm. That was also on a third down. Yeah, and, you know, that that's kind of unexplainable to me unless he's, unless he's thinking about getting hit or if he's thinking about something else because that ball, it hit him square in the hands, and that's a, that's a catch. That should be a catch. Um, and I, I understand that get it, you don't want to get hit or you want to get out of bounds or whatever, but, you know, you got to catch the ball first, and I think, and he's good enough to know that. And, you know, he's 
what what was he I, I saw something he was like the number six wide receiver on some draft boards for this upcoming draft maybe more so he's he's projected as a first three rounds kind of guy but if he's not catching the ball he's not going to be up there for very long so you know same thing kind of same thing with brennan not as much because brennan still can show what he's got but if wicks is dropping all these balls like i i don't know i don't know what's up with him yeah and i think it's a confidence thing man and i think you know uh lavelle davis has dropped some balls grant nish has mm-hmm. keaton thompson has dropped a few although he hasn't hasn't had as many issues there yeah but i think it's totally a confidence issue man i mean Going back the past few years, I mean, our receivers have not had problems with drops. No. You know, Wicks would bobble a few balls here and there last year. But even then, you know, he was making so many plays that you almost forget about those balls. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing uh, Marcus Hagens has been great at is really emphasizing catching the ball, really emphasizing fundamentals, catching with your hands. And it's just perplexing to see this out of these same players that were so good the past year in Lavelle Davis's case two years ago. So I think it's a confidence issue. And you really see that with Brennan Armstrong too. I think mm-hmm. he is struggling in this offense. Um, listen, it's very different from what Robert and I ran. And we know he was comfortable with Robert and I's offense. I think he's still getting comfortable with this offense. And it doesn't help either, like we said earlier, that while the offensive line I think they're progressing on the ground game. You know, I think they're doing some good things. But in the passing game, they really struggle. Now, Jonathan Leach, he made his first start of the season. Hopefully, he'll get back on track. Uh, Logan Taylor at the other tackle spot, he was still beat a few times. John Paul Flores was beat several times. Ty Furnish was actually subbed out at center for Jetsus Johnson for several series. So this is an offensive line that's still gelling. But when you don't have that confidence to step up into your throws, when you're mm-hmm. constantly scared about when you're going to get hit and which side you're going to get hit from, it's hard on a quarterback to deliver good balls. And when those balls aren't getting there and receivers are running routes and not seeing the ball thrown their way, it can be difficult on confidence throughout the offense. So mm-hmm. I really do think you know they need to find their groove a little bit more. Again, I was happy with for the most part, you know, how they move the ball in the ground game against Old Dominion. But there's going to be a lot of work to do in, A, sustaining that against a Power 5 opponent, and B, the passing game has got to come along. There's just too much talent for it to be at the spot it's at right now. Yeah. Yeah, So, and something that I noticed about Brennan over the – mostly in the ODU game is uh, it, if you look back at the first couple of drives, there's some passes where he looks at Don Tavian and doesn't look anywhere else. And that resulted in a few drops or there was a few balls that actually Brennan didn't throw very well, but he, but he's telegraphing some of his passes. And I don't know if that's because he's comfortable with, with one route on that play or if he's more comfortable. I I mean, I'm sure he and Don Tavian have got that, that bond pretty settled. So I think that he's more comfortable throwing to Don Tavian in any situation because he, he knows that his receiver can go up and get it. But I, I think that if he's doing that, that shows that a discomfort, as you're saying. Now, whether that's with the offense or if he feels like he doesn't have enough time and he just has got to get it out of there, I think it's probably a little bit of both where he doesn't know he doesn't quite know the offense as well as he might like or 
and probably he's got he got hit a lot of times during Illinois. Mm-hmm. He took some hits, and even during Richmond too, he took some sacks. So I think that I think he's just trying to get it out. I think he's I think it's a comfort thing, as you said. Yeah, I I agree, and you know I think I think it can come along. I think it will get better, but some of it's play calling too. You know, mm-hmm. I was very perplexed against Old Dominion. The first two plays were deep balls down the right sideline to Dontavian yeah. Wicks. And yeah. he wasn't really open on either throw. No. So you're right. I, I definitely think he's forcing things. And then, you know, the receivers are struggling too. You know, there was one third down where it was like a rub route. They were trying to get Keaton Thompson. He was in the slot and trying to rub him against the outside receiver and get him open. And the receivers ran into each other. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a confidence thing. It's, you know, some miscommunications. I do question the play calling a little bit at times. I think play calling was improved from Illinois, but you would expect it to improve against a non-Power 5 team. So, you know, there's things that need to be worked out for sure. And And, I I don't know if this is a season-long thing or what, but I don't know. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was going to say the timing is everything, especially for some of these play calls, right? I, I think that if your offense is more dynamic and more more it's got more pieces to it there's going to be times where you don't the receivers don't always need to get open as fast as possible because that's the whole point of the progression right you look somewhere first and see if you know that big play is open then you look towards the middle or you look towards one side or the other and then you look at your check downs and see if they're open or not and then you run off or and then you take off or you throw it or whatever but if you're all getting open as fast as possible, then your check down is not open when you get to them because they get there so fast. So I think there's some also, there's some skill about, you know, timing and what you said. It's not just being in the right place. It's about getting there at the correct time. And I think that the, I think that this just going to take more and more studying more time to, to get on the same page with each, with each other, because clearly as, as we're saying, it's not, it's not clicking. It's not clicking yet. Nope. And, you know, again, the hope is that it will click. But I, I do think timing is a great point. And timing wasn't as important in Robert and I's offense. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. It was a spread it out <laughs> scheme. And look, it's working at Syracuse right now. But yeah. it's a spread it out scheme. There's lots of options for the receivers. Brennan had great control under that offense. He had the ability to audible into plays he liked. And it's just different. And the scheme is much more timing based and it's different for these wide receivers. It's different for Brennan Armstrong. And, you know, you can make the argument that this is what NFL scouts wanted to see from Brennan Armstrong. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a much more NFL like offense than what Robert and I ran last year. Mm -hmm. So if he's struggling in this, then he probably would have struggled in the NFL this year had he gone. And that's what the scouts told him. So hopefully this is something where we'll see Brennan improve throughout the season. But I'll tell you, man, with that offensive line in pass protection, especially it's almost like they're setting them up to fail at times. You know, you just don't have time to sit back in the pocket. Like you had the past few years. It's going to be a struggle and it's going to continue to show itself against these power five teams. Yeah. Although I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know even if we had like Olu and, and some of the other guys from last year who, who left or, or graduated, I don't know if we beat Illinois even, you know, even with our offensive line. Because Brennan, there were times against Illinois where Brennan had time 
and there was just nothing open, you know, mm-hmm. and our offensive line, as good as they were in pass protection last year, their run de- their run game wasn't by any stretch great or even good. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't run the ball enough to really get a good sense of how they were, I think, all the time for run defense. But they really struggled. I mean, we struggled running the ball last year, and we've not really struggled this year. And I don't know if that's be- just because of the way the people are blocking or if because just we're just running more against worse teams. But I'm not convinced that we beat Illinois even with our line from last year. Yeah. In I, in our current offense. I agree. I I think it would have been a lot closer. I think it would have been more of a pick'em game, which is yeah. what I thought it was coming into the game. Yeah. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There's there's just a lot of new things happening here. Um I don't know. Do you want to get to the defense real quick before we kind of delve into other spots that we want to yeah. talk about? Yeah, let's the defense do, actually played pretty well. Let's do that. Now, you said pick-up game. I don't know if we thought that the ODU game would be a pick'em game, but that's what it became at the very end. Um, most of that's thanks to the defense. The defense did a great job this this game. Uh you know, kind of all things considered, they held ODU to to 324 yards. It's kind of a lot, but they held them to only 415 on third down, and ODU only scored 14 points. You know, I think I think if a team only scores 14 with our offense, with the with the players on our offense, we should be able to score more than 14. And luckily today, yesterday we did uh, barely, but I, I I would say that there was some. Uh, there's been improvement on the defensive end, especially compared to last year. Yeah, absolutely. There's been huge improvement. And, you know, of the total yards, Virginia held Old Dominion to 89 rushing yards. It's pretty Mm -hmm. good. You know, our defensive front has been stout against the run. I really like the way the linebackers, Nick Jackson and uh, Josh Ahern, are able to play downhill in this defense. You know, you're not isolating these guys in space like we were last year. You're really putting them in the box and telling them to go get the football, which I think has been a tremendous development and improvement for both of those players. Um, and you got to be happy generally with the edge guys as well on the pass rush. You know, Chico Bennett and uh, Cam Butler each had sacks and back-to-back games. Both had sacks against Illinois and now against ODU as well. Aaron mm-hmm. Famui also had a sack. Um so you're seeing different guys play. Now, one name we haven't brought up this season, which is unfortunate, is Mike Green. Uh, Mike Green currently isn't with the football team. A little unclear if he will be with the football team in the future or not. Not totally sure. But in his absence, you know, Chico Bennett has stepped up at that banded spot. We really didn't see Jack Camper yesterday, but Deshaun Perry moved actually from inside linebacker back to the bandit position. And Deshaun Perry played well. He had four tackles, including a tackle for loss. So I think the front and this defense, the front six have played well. And like we said earlier to start the show, I really like what the secondary is doing. I'm really excited about that sophomore class. And Aiden Ryan, I don't think he suited up yesterday. I think he's still battling an injury. But he's another guy I'm excited about in that secondary. Lex Long, nine tackles. Jonas Sanker, seven tackles. Some of them were really timely. I think you got to be excited about where this defense is heading. Yeah, and you know when Rudinsky was hired, a lot of people were like Air Force, really. But so far, it's it's been a major improvement to what we saw last year. And you know, even last year, you 
I don't know if our players were much better last year, but I don't think we have better players this year by any means uh, of anything. I think that the defense is better. I think it's more well-schemed, and I think that the coaching has been really good on that side of the ball. So uh, you know, a huge improvement from last year, which was really the reason why we lost as many games as we did, is not not nothing to do with the offense. Offense was so good last year, but the defense was atrocious last year and much, much better and puts us in a much better position. You know, with Illinois, 24 points, that's that's not terrible, right? And they only Illinois only scored um well they, they, they scored ten points in the second half, but you know, twenty four points we we could is doable, right? To be yeah. So. And seven of those were from a a muff punt. You know, yeah. the defense only gave up seventeen points in that game. Yeah, that that's a good for great point. Great point. So defense has been uh, a huge bright spot this year. Absolutely. And again, we talked about it. I really like this scheme. I think it's a great scheme for the personnel we have. And you just see how comfortable these guys look. You know, Lex Long is a big safety, and he's at 6'3", out there playing free safety, but he doesn't look out of position. You mm-hmm. know, he's playing with speed. He's playing with range. He looks good. Jonas Sanker is a guy that you can put him anywhere. You can put him in a nickel spot. You can put him at deep safety. He played, played both against Old Dominion, and he looked really comfortable. And I think they've got a good rotation going. You know, on the defensive line, Jameer Carter is primarily playing rundowns. They'll bring in Ben Smiley on passing downs. Aaron Famui, you know, he did kind of blow up on the sideline last weekend, which, you know, was tough to see against Illinois, but really bounced back with a strong game against Old Dominion. He had a sack, two tackles for loss. So you're seeing guys being put in a position where they can make plays. And that was the biggest struggle last year is that I was really excited for the 3-3-5 coming into the season. I did a whole write-up on it, and on mm-hmm. paper, it looked really, really good. Yeah. And then you put it in practice, and it was like, man, our guys, you know, it's a scheme that can work and has worked before, but you got to have the right personnel for it. Yeah. And this scheme fits our personnel so much better, and it's mm-hmm. easier to recruit to this uh, scheme as well. So yeah. I think the defense, you know, they're taking a big step forward. Uh, some faces that have been here a while and just happened to struggle last year, but some new faces as well. Again, the sophomores, again, really like seeing Deshaun Perry. Uh, Cameron Butler is the real deal as a pass rusher, and he got ODU to jump for false starts, I think at least twice yesterday. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing guys being put in a position and make plays. And ultimately, that's what coaching is about, right? So I'm really pleased with how the defense is looking. Yeah. And, you know, this is a credit to ODU as well because ODU has their the one thing about ODU that's really good is their passing game. Uh, they've got some great they have a great receiver in Jennings the third. Uh, he's he's a legit legit guy uh, and their tight end Kuntz uh, was really solid during the game as well. Six catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And it just dominated us on that last possession too. Also, the defense gave up the their last drive was 80 yards. It's about one-fourth of their yards. So basically, they got a huge chunk of those yards on that last kind of desperation drive in the last three minutes of the game. So when a team's playing with their backs against the wall, they kind of they, they do their thing. And we see this time and time again with teams that 
go all the way down the field when uh, when there's no time left. And it's mostly when we were playing prevention defense to not let them score super duper fast. And we did our job. Uh, ODU did a good job of scoring. That touchdown was not a – they earned that touchdown. But I think for the rest of the game, the defense did a really great job. Uh, really limited the rushing yards. They averaged only 2.8 yards per rush, which was uh, really great. And, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just singing the praises of the defense right now, which I'm not used to doing on for this Virginia team <laughs> the past it's couple years. It's been a few years, man. It's been a while. <laughs> but uh, while we're on this topic, I do want to ask you about the – I want to say two-minute drill. It was really a one-minute drill that this team put together mm -hmm. um, to get the game-winning field goal there at the end. Heading into that drive, how are you feeling about UVA's chances to win? Dude, I we we were texting a little bit. We both we were both feeling pretty bad, but I I was still hopeful because we know what Brennan can do. We know what these wide receivers are capable of. And we had playmakers on all over the field. And the the huge pass to Lavelle Davis, that 30-yard pass. Brennan then rushes for 13 yards. And then there's the pass interference penalty in the end zone. And then that was pretty much it. Brennan rushes to the – Brennan sets up the field goal unit. We call timeout. Two seconds left, and we're good to go. I – I really enjoyed watching Brennan uh, have his mojo back. And that was really the, the the point in the game where I was like, I feel most comfortable here because the coaches were kind of like, all right, Brennan, go do your thing. Go go score us a touchdown. And I, I feel like watching that, it almost makes me feel like the coaching staff is holding him back in certain ways. It almost makes me feel like – I'm not saying they do it on purpose, but I'm saying that – either the play calling or the scheme or whatever is not using Brennan to his full potential and frankly, not using our wide receivers to their full potential. I think our running backs they're using really well right now. I think the passing game has either been held on the back burner on purpose because they want to, as we've heard over and over again, they want to establish that run game. They want to get the running game going. Or if it's just, whatever they're calling is not working because it was great to see Brennan and he was juiced up and he got the, he got the yards and he got us down to the two yard or however, whatever yard line. Yeah. I think we came from like the 10 yard line. Yeah. The seven. So that was, that was great to see. And that that's the Brennan we know from last year that that was what he could do last year was get us down, win us the game with the, with a last minute drive. And it was really Great to see that again. No, you said exactly what I was going to say, and that it did look like the Brennan Armstrong from last year. He had mm -hmm. a th few throws throughout the course of the game where it's like, all right, that's a great ball. Like one, the uh, pass over the middle to Dontavian Wicks near the goal line. I think it was yeah. shortly before the Mike Collins fumble. Uh, but that was like a pass that he threw last year. What mm -hmm. you saw in the two-minute drives, the guys felt confident. Yeah. You know, They knew they were going to throw the ball downfield. You know, they knew they had a good quarterback and good receivers and that guys could make plays. So, I mean, I'll be honest. The offense really struggled to throw the ball all day. I wasn't sure what was going to happen when UVA got the ball back. 
Uh, especially, you know, it was great redemption for Brendan Farrell. I'm sure that guy felt awful after missing the kick that could yeah. put the game away, making it a two-score game. Um, but, hey, he got his redemption. I was really happy with how that two-minute drive went, really one-minute drive. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a good, hopefully, confidence booster for this offense heading into, frankly, a game against Syracuse will, where they'll probably need to score a lot of points. Yeah, and I, I think, I hope that this that that drive showed the coaches like what they can do like if you give the wide receiver space and 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 you you put your trust in Brennan then you can they can score they can score quick they can score slow we saw several drives that lasted many minutes uh you know let me let me look at the drive the longest drive we had uh during that day i mean to be fair, there weren't a lot of them because we would either fumble it or just not not do a lot. But, <laughs> but the longest drive of the day was actually the the made field goal in the second half. It was five minutes long, eleven plays, and then the one where we missed the field goal was nine plays for for four minutes. So that that takes up a huge chunk of time. Where this this coaching staff is doing a much better job of of balancing and they've we've heard this word balance so much this season but balancing the running game getting that time off the clock if we had made that field goal odu has odu would be down i think nine uh they they'd be down nine points with uh three minutes left which is pretty hard to overcome and at that point they get super super desperate but because of the missed field goal you know things go kind of haywire i i just think that I'm I'm hopeful that the coaching staff opens it up on Friday and just lets Brennan do his thing. That that's kind of my dream is if he can, <laughs> if he can do that again because yeah because he he looked he looked like the Brennan we know and love uh, in that last one minute. He really did, and to your point, it can be kind of a double edged sword. I'm all about complimentary football. I think you need that and. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to have it is that all three of your units play well. <laughs> and I think yeah. special teams is a big part of that is putting the offense and defense in a position where they can make plays. Now, what we also saw is when you hold on to the ball for longer drives, more things can happen. Of course, mm-hmm. you can throw an interception in a one minute drive. That's only a few passes long, but you know, when you have, you know, nine, 10, 11 plays in a drive, more things can happen. Good and bad. You know, you certainly, uh, control the clock more, which helps your defense. But, you know, there's also the risk of fumbles. Virginia did fumble the ball on three consecutive possessions, twice before the end of the first half and then the first possession after halftime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's got to be good fundamentals. And Mike Collins, I think, you know, he's done some really good things in pass production. He seems to be their go-to guy on third and longs. Um but yeah, I think you've seen the good and the bad with him, him struggling to hold on to the football. I think what we're going to see potentially is whether Xavier Brown can really take over some of those roles because he's mm-hmm. a really exciting player. So you're seeing things that you didn't see last year. Part of it was because we didn't have the opportunity to see what would happen. You know, yeah. if you're running the ball and you're doing longer drives, but there's pluses and minuses to every type of offense. To your point, hopefully we can say that, you know, this approach on the ground focusing more on ball control this year, maybe that's helping the defense. Maybe the defense would be struggling a little bit like they did last year. If, you know, they were in the, uh, the offensive scheme we had last year. 
tough to say. And again, I yeah. struggle with that because offense was not the problem last year. No, but no, it, no. It, it's an interesting, it's always a balancing act. But to your point, I think the ability to run the football is always a good thing. And I think it will help as the season wears on, assuming they're still able to do it. They really weren't able to do it against Illinois. No, no. I, I, you know, I, Syracuse actually against their, against Purdue played a pretty solid defensive effort. So, uh, especially in the first, I watched the first half. I didn't really watch the ending, but I heard, I saw the ending and it was crazy. They scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. There's no 60 points for UNC and App State, but I, uh, <laughs> but you know, we can't all be that great, but the, uh, the Syracuse defense uh, up until this game had not allowed a touchdown in the red zone to for both their first two games, which was pretty impressive, I think. And that's something that we haven't really shown this year is the, the big play ability, right? We're a team that really has gotten into the red zone and kind of punched it in. Last year, you know, that's a different story. A lot of big plays last year. But this year, we have some big passes. But I I don't know what our – do you know what our longest touchdown is this year? I mean, we've only had a few touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> there hasn't been many. There's only been one this game, none against, none against Illinois. The Richmond game we had so – We only Armstrong had the 64-yard touchdown, right? That's it, yeah. Yeah, so that, but that's really the only big touchdown play so far. Yeah, Lavelle Davis had a 62-yard reception against Illinois, but that did not go for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, they're struggling to create big plays. And mm-hmm. I'm a big believer, and maybe this is a good transition into mm-hmm. kind of, you know, our take on the offense so far, the coaching staff so far. Again, three games in, small sample size. But as much as I love running the football, I'm a big believer in that big plays win games, explosive mm-hmm. plays win games. And look, you can go back to the Mike London years too. Virginia at times could run the football. Kevin Parks was a really good running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perry Jones was a good running back. Mm-hmm. There was, I mean, Smoke for a little bit there was a good running back, especially yeah. in his junior and senior year. But under that offense, you didn't get big plays. You know, whether it was Bill Lazor, Steve Fairchild, they really lacked big plays. Now this offense is... It's a spread scheme. There's more power to it, but it's still a spread scheme. So it's different than what we ran in the London years. But I am a little concerned about the lack of big plays so far. Hopefully they'll come. They've got the talent there to make it happen. But I am a big player that, or a big believer that (laughs) explosive plays are more important than the ground game, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether that puts me on the side of the air raid or not, I mean, I believe in explosive passing attacks. And I think at a place like Virginia, you need to find uh, ways and advantages to help you win. And I would say one little concern I do have with this offense right now is that it seems very regimented that they're going to run these plays and the players need to be in this position. If they are, then it'll work. But if they're not, then it might not work. I do think at a place like Virginia where, you know, you're not recruiting at a top 20 level and, you know, you're, are not going to have the athletes for the most part that a lot of these top teams have. I mean, heck, even top teams in the ACC. So I do think they need to open it up a little bit more and really, you know, give these guys a chance to make explosive plays happen, however it may be, um, because that is an area where I feel like Virginia needs to improve on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And one thing that was emphasized 
with Rudinsky is limiting those big plays on the defensive side. And so yeah. far, we've done a pretty good job about doing that. I think there's been a couple big chunk plays, but really nothing that's resulted in a huge touchdown so far. Unlike last year where, you know, think go just look at the Carolina game where every possession seems like a 30 or 40 yard touchdown pass or yeah. run or whatever. So I think that so far we've done a good job limiting those plays. Now we need to get back to getting those chunk plays and those big, those big uh, exciting plays back. I, I, I think I agree. Now, this all this all comes back to coaching and coaching decisions. And Rob and I had a some thoughts about not about the coaching staff. I think we both agree that we that we like Tony Elliott so far. Um, but I think that we have some thoughts about the coaching and the coaching staff that we want to talk about. And it's not about this is not anti Tony Elliott. It's not anti the staff that Tony Elliott has, although. You know, we'll see how that goes, especially I think is I think Rudinsky is has gotten everyone over. I think Kitchings needs more time to to, to win the people <laughs> over. But, you know, I, I think that we would just like to say some thoughts about the coaching staff. I think the first thing to bring up is um, Bronco and broncos departure and how it kind of left this program in limbo and how difficult it is for a coach to come into this kind of situation when bronco came in for london it was it was a complete rebuild one of the worst power five programs in the whole country and bronco really did a great job of turning the program around although the the first year was miserable but (laughs) after that you know program was really solid for the next couple of years even good really good that one year in the the orange bowl um vr training platforms like the one developed by fundamental vr and orbis international are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients as you practice each skill the muscle memory starts to develop learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact as you write your life story You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot Georgetown dot edu slash podcast. So Rob, Rob, what are your thoughts on, I think we need to start with Bronco because I think that's where this all stems from is the, the situation that Tony Elliott finds himself in where he has someone else's players that are really good and were really good in one system and he's got to switch them over. It's not like Bronco where Bronco had the, the leftovers of recruiting and, and had to make do with that. So what are your thoughts on kind of Bronco and Bronco leaving after a couple games into the season? It, it put Tony Elliott in a hard spot for sure. And it's, you know, I don't think it's too dissimilar to the situation that uh, 
you know, really, if we look down to Blacksburg, that Justin Fuente found himself in when yeah. he took over after Frank Beamer. You know, some people had split opinions on Bronco. Some people had differing opinions on Robert and I. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, it's easy for me to say, I think you and me were fair in both our praise and criticisms of each throughout their tenure. We are uh, really fair. We are yeah. really fair. <laughs> but they, I mean, I think it was a good coaching staff. I think Bronco is a good head coach. And Robert and I, he could get too cute at times. Like we've called him out on some very dumb plays he's called before. And we the all know what those line were. Screen, yeah. yeah. But he was a good coordinator. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm -hmm. So it's a hard situation for Tony Elliott to walk into because it's not like Bronco. Bronco had a grace period of really several years. People were mm -hmm. so ready to move on from Mike London. And it's also not like Bronco, Bronco was a solid coach, but it's not like he left for another job either. You know, he left because he was just kind of burned out, I think. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying he wants to get back into coaching. And, you know, I, I understand burnout. I understand all of that. I, I'm, I don't hold Bronco's decision against him. I, I just fundamentally don't. So, but regardless of that, you bring in Tony Elliott, who comes in with some credibility, and I think he was absolutely the right hire. You know, there was some controversy about whether they wanted to get Poindexter, how that was going to go, and I think some of the fan base and, frankly, some of the donors really do wish they got Poindexter. Mm -hmm. I think we made the right hire in Tony Elliott. But fair or not, Tony Elliott just isn't going to get the honeymoon period that a lot of coaches do get when they walk into jobs. So when you come in and you see an offense that, you know, frankly has struggled so far this year, especially against Illinois, that was one of the worst offensive performances, honestly, I've seen as a UVA fan. Yeah. So when you have an offensive performance like that and you know the talent that you have on that roster, yeah, people are going to get a little uneasy. And it might not be fair to Tony Elliott just because, you know, he probably doesn't need to do a complete rebuild. And mm -hmm. how he's approaching this, you know, it'll become clear later. But there's a lot of similarities between how Bronco and Tony Elliott are approaching the program. Um, but so far, it's I don't think we've looked as good as anyone thought we would offensively this season. So yeah. it puts him in a tough spot. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you have – the offense that we had last year and you returned so much of that talent don't get me wrong the offensive line was a big piece of that and they're missing that this year but when you see the way our you know all-world quarterback looks so uncomfortable how our great receivers are dropping balls struggling to get separation you know he just doesn't have that honeymoon period again fair or not but it makes this season interesting and i think a lot of people have found themselves looking back and you know Hey, Robert and I maybe wasn't so bad after all. Or, you know, uh, some people are taking the opposite approach that, oh, thank God we're done with an eye. You know, I know a lot of people do hold Bronco leaving against him. So mm -hmm. there's just so many different opinions floating around. And it, it's tough, man. It's a tough situation for Tony Elliott to walk into because he has to get the buy in from these players to buy into his scheme, his program. But frankly, the fan base is a little split as well between people who really like Tony Elliott, people who wanted Poindexter, people who wish Bronco was still here. There's a lot of politics inside and outside the program right now. Yeah. And it puts Tony Elliott in a tough spot. Yeah, I, I love what you said. I think there's a lot to piece out there. I, I think that I I agree. First of all, Bronco leaving it just sucked. Like like it sucks. That that situ that situation is really not 
not um, common in football. I think the situ. I think your your comparison to to Beamer was really interesting because I've never thought about that before. How Fuente came into a program that had experienced success for twenty five years, right, and then really didn't get it right away and was kind of booted out of Blacksburg because of it. Bronco came into a really different situation than Fuente where he did a complete rebuild and uh, Bronco really brought a lot of the fan base back. I think after London kind of made people not want to come to games anymore. So when Bronco leaves really unexpectedly, I think, I think it probably rubbed people the wrong way. Honestly, I think that people felt like he was quitting. And like you said, I don't hold that against them all. You got to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. But it just it it just sucks that that it happened in that way and at that time because we had a great thing going. Like to be to be frank, the last, last season didn't end the way that we all wanted it to. But there were times where you could see that there that the program was on the right track and the program was consistently getting bowl games and the program was recruiting well and all this stuff. So when Elliot comes in, as you said, no honeymoon period, right? We are established. We are a program now that expects certain things. And we expect certain things out of our quarterback and our and our offense, to be quite honest. And that's not happening. And people are looking back and saying, man, I wish Bronco was still here <laughs> with an eye. And that doesn't that doesn't happen very often where you where you're Actually, your predecessor was better than you or, or what your predecessor was doing. A lot of coaches in college football get fired and that's how they end up leaving, right? Um, so we're, the, we're one of the lucky programs, I guess, that our coach got to step away. We had a really peaceful transition. Bronco and Elliot met several times and I, I think that there's just – you know, this weird thing where Elliot's not getting the same grace that we would extend to a head coach that was doing a full rebuild. Cause this doesn't, this shouldn't feel like a full rebuild because we have all the pieces. Mm -hmm. I think that's what is, is hurting is like, we didn't expect this to be like a full, cause I think I'm wondering if Tony Elliott is treating it like a full rebuild when yeah. it really isn't. And he's a first-time head coach. I'm not blaming him for for doing it. He's like, this is my way. I'm going to do it this way. I've always wanted to do it this way, but Dabo sucks, and I couldn't do anything. <laughs> him, so I'm going to do it this way. And that's fine, but it just feels weird doing it with the amount of the amount of success that we have sustained under Bronco before. Yeah, and you know, in fairness, I don't want to paint this picture is all like rosy like we knew that there were shortcomings on this virginia team the past two years specifically oh, sure. on the defensive side of the ball yeah. and i think it was pretty clear that changes probably were going to be made if bronco had stuck around you know mm -hmm. whether that's bringing in a guy like radzinski or you know maybe it was bringing poindexter on as dc mm -hmm. you know i think changes were going to happen after the season and that probably partly played a role in Broncos stepping down you know I don't think it was all about that but that was probably part of it and at least contributed to his decision but that's the what if game you know what if 
you bring back the same offense and you have Bronco in charge and you have a new mm-hmm. defensive coordinator and a new scheme and, you know, what could have been, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And for me, that's something I've fallen to trap a little bit of because mm-hmm. I like Bronco, you know, and, and I wasn't perfect, but I think you need to run innovative schemes in college football if you're going to win without top talent in college football. And I think for the most part, Robert and I did that. And he was very good at fitting the personnel to his offense. You know, people want to get up in arms a lot about the offense last year and about how it was really kind of like an air raid scheme. And no, that's not sustainable. But guess what? Last year, we had a great quarterback, a good offensive line and pass protection. They were not good in running the ball. You know, we tried that a few games early in the season and they just couldn't get any push. But they were great in pass protection. You have a great tight end, a deep room of receivers. The offense we ran fit the personnel we ran. And guess what? Go look at 2018. And Bryce Perkins had a thousand yards rushing or almost had a thousand yards rushing. Jordan Ellis had a thousand yards rushing. You know, that was the same offensive coordinator. He was good at fitting the scheme to his personnel. Again, he's not perfect. There's a reason this man has not been a head coach before, (laughs) but he's a generally good offensive coordinator. So uh, my point being, now you get back to our current situation. It's hard, man. (laughs) It's hard to like, Mm look at the scheme and especially for the players, man, you're seeing the players kind of struggle to get buy-in. And it's hard for Tony Elliott because to your point, the system wasn't broken when Tony Elliott came in. It needed some tweaks for sure. But then you're a new head coach. You know, you want to do things your way. It's not fair to Tony Elliott to say, hey, you have to continue to do things the way Bronco did them. So it's just a tough situation, man. And it's something that, you know, on the surface, it looks good. You know, you're walking into a situation where, it's not a complete rebuild and you can kind of build upon what was here before. And that's the way Tony Elliott approached it in all his press conferences. But when rubber meets the road, you know, he's in charge and he's going to want to do things his way. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame him for that. Every coach deserves the opportunity. And this extends to the business world as well. Every leader deserves the opportunity to implement their culture and their systems. And that's what we hired Tony Elliott to do. And so it's, it puts them in a hard spot, man. It really does. Yeah, I I want to say I don't think if Dex was the was the coach, I don't think this season goes much differently, right? Like, do you think Dex comes in and is like, ah, I'm gonna do everything exactly the same as <laughs> as Bronco did? No, that's not the case either. And I think Dex, you know, will is a great would have been a great coach for us. I think Elliot is gonna be a great coach for us. I I actually really love the Elliot hire. And watching him, watching him, like deal with the media and deal with the the other stuff that is coming with college football right now, is really impressive to me because he knows where this game is going. He knows it's all about money. He knows it's about getting fans to games. He knows it's about it's not just about football now. It's about other stuff, right? NIL and all that stuff. So the social media stuff that's coming out from Juve football has been pretty good in recent, uh, like over this, this past year since he's been hired, right? The, the way that he's um, dealt with other things like, like the uniform changes and NIL deals. Like, I don't know if you've, if you drive down the shots you drive down 29, you see uh, ads with, with football players on them now. And I think Elliot's been a huge part in that. 
right? So his job is not just to coach the team, is to get these guys to want to come play for UVA and also get people engaged on social media. And that's just kind of the world we live in right now. I think Elliot is young enough to know how to do that at a really at a really high clip. And also he is he's got a great he's a good football mind. Uh, we we know this from Clemson. He's got a ring, right? He has a ring and he knows what he's doing. So it will come. It we just need to get it. We just need to, you know, make sure that that we're doing the correct thing and in hit in his way. And his way so far, there's been some pains with that. I don't think it's different with Dex. I think with Dex there's pains too, right? I mean, does Dex keep an eye? I don't think so. And I don't think, especially after the tech game, I don't I don't think an eye wants to stay in Charlottesville either, right? So it's, that, it's tough, yeah. 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 So Dex Dex is gonna do things his own way too. I think people who want Dex instead of Elliot, you're you're looking at the grass is always greener, right? Because right now we're struggling, right? Dex would struggle too in this scenario. It's that I think it's ridiculous to to want someone else right now. Yeah, and in fairness, I haven't heard anyone really clamoring for Dex. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was the reality is that they, when they made, went about the coaching search, is they went to Dex first, they being the administration and Carla Williams. And for whatever reason, I don't think we know the full backstory yet. It it didn't work out. Um, I I love the Tony Elliott hire. When mm-hmm. they initial list of candidates came out, Tony Elliott was my guy, and you know whether it works out for the best or not, like Tony Elliott was the guy I wanted. And so listen, I think the the takeaway here is that he's in a tough position. He really is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of comparisons being made and, you know, players reaching back to the way things were done in the previous regime and the success offensively, at least they had in the previous regime. Um, It's hard to make that comparison. I do know that I think players like Tony Elliott. I think they're having fun, especially on defense, playing this new scheme. Um, I think the energy that was injected into the program, at least in the offseason, was good. Um, But, of course, that all wears out when the results on the field don't match that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see where it heads. You know, I I think they made the right decision in hiring Tony Elliott. And, you know, everyone was put in a tough spot with the way the Bronco tenure ended. So – I don't know. I guess we'll just kind of wait and see. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see how this coaching staff is able to rebound recruiting wise. I, I think there's probably a little bit of room for improvement there mm-hmm. when we're talking about the rankings, at least. Um, but, you know, they deserve their chance. And I think Kitchings has some things to work out offensively. I think that's pretty clear. But, you know, that's why you have Tony Elliott there. You know, Tony mm-hmm. Elliott developed one of the great college football offenses, national championship offenses while he was at Clemson. So they need to find, you know, mix their styles and find a way that also fits the University of Virginia. Because frankly, you know, I know Tony Elliott likes to make the comparison that when he started at Clemson, they were six and six and they built it from there. Reality is that Clemson has a much richer football history than UVA does and donors that are much more willing to open their pocket. So, yeah, maybe the records were the same when he got there and Dabo got there. Virginia and Clemson are two different football programs. So. I, I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. It, I think, I don't know if there's really a true 
point we're trying to hammer home here. Yeah. Other than just there's so many dynamics to this new coaching I, staff situation. I think, I think we're just venting. I think this is good <laughs> therapy for us. Because I think I think I said this to you last week against Illinois. I, I felt like I was watching the team in 2012 and not 2022. I, I, I really mm-hmm. felt like I was back in the London years. Nothing was going right. Felt like the felt like everyone was emotional. People were fu- uh, like uh, anger on the sidelines. It just was not a good look. This week, a little bit better, but like you know, almost losing to ODU is not not a great <laughs> look. And I just feel like it, you know, it took light. I I feel like months off my life. Uh, the the stress, and even at one point, you know, this is the best part is that there were. I was watching the game and. After ODU, after we missed the field goal and ODU starts their drive, you could see fans like kind of laughing in the stance. Like, I can't believe that we're back to this kind of point in our football careers where we are going to lose to ODU. <laughs> kind of like how Bronco lost up to some bye games and London lost a lot of bye games too. Uh, we we didn't want to come back here. L- luckily, our players are good enough to pull it out. But I-, I think that you know it brought a lot of people back to times where they didn't really want to go back to UVA football. <laughs> Those are forgettable times, and we're at a place now where we really would like to be above that. And I think that I think that we will get there. I just I think it need, it's going to take a take some time. the The last thing I had another point, but I forgot it. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's my bad i had a great point but i don't remember what i was all saying. good man all good yeah so i mean it's gonna be a big test and it doesn't help the fact that they're playing syracuse this weekend and robert yeah. and i and you know i watched the end of the syracuse purdue game on saturday mm-hmm. and yeah they were flashing to robert and i they were flashing to jason beck um Jason Beck in particular was widely loved in Charlottesville. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think it only makes Tony Elliott's job harder that there's going to be all the storylines about Anai and Beck this week. And it's going to be yeah. harder to keep the players focused. And it's going to be harder for him to keep the fan base kind of focused on his vision um, mm-hmm. and his vision of how this offense is going to eventually look like. Yeah. So he's in an unenviable situation uh, heading into this week. But, you know, me as an outsider looking in at this point, I think it's, there's going to be some good storylines this week. So I'm curious it'll, to see where it goes. It'll be fun, you know, and there's deep ties too. I'm sure Beck and Brennan have really, you know, a strong connection based on just how much they work together the past couple of years. And I, I think the wide receivers too probably have some connections with Anai and definitely some other members of the team do too. So it'll be, it'll be good to see. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that they're still having success. At, at Syracuse, I just hope that they don't have success against us <laughs> next week, and you know we we can pull it out. I, I I did remember my point. It was actually a question for you. If Kitchings continues to struggle and the offense continues to kind of sputter at times, do you think that Elliot would take over play calling duties in the middle of the season? It, like, it, do you think that's a possibility or even on the table? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be on the table this year because Tony Elliott has a lot on his plate, you know, things he's handling a lot of the administrative duties, the CEO type duties. And, you know, a lot of that is fundraising. A lot of that is setting the vision for the program, 
So he's got a lot on his plate right now, especially as a first-time head coach. Mm-hmm. I think there was an intentional decision for Des Kitchings to call the plays, and I think things would have to really go bad if Tony Elliott was going to take over. Now, I do know Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings are really good friends off the field, and this is mm-hmm. something that them joining forces together like they did at UVA was something they had talked about for some time. So I think it would be difficult for Tony Elliott to make that decision um, from a friendship perspective, and then also just he has so much, so many other things on his plate now as well now let's say we get into next season and the offense is still really struggling maybe uh tony elliott feels compelled to take over at that point but if you're taking away play calling duties from your coordinator whether that's offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator yeah in most situations that's going to end in that coordinator not being retained so i'm curious to see how that would go but long way of saying no i would be surprised if tony elliott took over play calling duties at least this season do, do you think there will be calls for that yeah i think there's already calls for that yeah <laughs> if you read yeah. the message boards people have brought that up yeah you you i stay away from the. i can't do the message board it's too <laughs> too much for me like twitter i can do twitter all day i'm fine with twitter message boards are too toxic for me <laughs> can't handle it. i know you're a message boards guy but i i'm Never got into it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that that's something that would be interesting to monitor. Hopefully we never reach that inflection point, but I'd be surprised if Tony Elliott made such a move this season. Uh, Rob, I actually, one of our, our uh, dear friends, Andrew Benvenuto, he, he had a good suggestion for a segment on this pod and it has to do with the message boards he said each week we should find the most interesting comment on the message boards and (laughs) share it (laughs) which i think could go downhill real quick because it would it would mean us promoting things that we don't necessarily agree with yeah we'll we'll consider that i'm not ready to dive (laughs) in on that right now yeah i i told him maybe (laughs) hard maybe food for thought Anyway, maybe if he ever comes back on, he'll he'll make a case for it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, Rob, we've talked about the offense, defense. We've talked about ODU. We talked about the coaching. Uh, the Syracuse game is this Friday. It's on ESPN, and it starts at 7 o'clock. Prime time. Uh, good to be back in prime time. It's been a while. Now, uh, do you want to – I know you said, did you say we were going to win or lose against Syracuse? In the preseason, I had this game as a win. Um, Are you pre-thinking that? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. The team is a little different, performing at a slightly different level than I was Mm -hmm. kind of expecting. Um, So I'm not ready to make a pick yet. But yeah, in the preseason, I had us winning, as did you. So again, while we're on this subject, 10 and 2, man. We got. <laughs> we'll see hey, how that I, goes. We're still on track for 10 and 2. Yeah, I just got are, some picks are. wrong. <laughs> I got some picks wrong. We're going to figure it out. I know it. I know it. Uh, quick couple questions for this for this game. Uh, I I also I think I would change mine to a loss if, if I had to decide right now. Uh, Rob, what do you think the jersey scheme is going to be for this upcoming game? We haven't played this game yet this season. We, we used to do this all the time last year. Uh, last game against against Illinois, it was 
uh, white, 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 right? Yeah, it was all whites. Yep. And that didn't go so well. So do you think they change it up? I think they're going to try to contrast from the orange. So my guess is they go blue helmets, white jersey, white pants. What do you okay. think? Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I actually really like the blue helmets this week. I didn't think I would like them without the stripe, but I think it looks really clean without the stripe on them. How do you feel about the blue helmets with no stripe? They're fine. You know, it was always kind of a an interesting look having the two stripes on the helmet kind of asymmetric. Mm-hmm. I think it looks really good on the white helmet. It probably mm-hmm. didn't look as good on the blue helmet, but I really like the uni combo this weekend, man. I, as far as the orange jerseys, I like when we go white, orange, white, white helmet, orange Jersey, white pants, mm-hmm. but otherwise I'm a blue guy, man. So I like seeing yeah. break out the blues and, I'm an, uh, yeah, I'm an orange guy. I like the orange. I liked the first, I love the white, orange, orange for Richmond. I, I thought it looks clean. <laughs> I really liked it. I really enjoyed it, but I, the all white, I think, is out for the rest of the season. If we go all white again, I think I'll riot. And I agree. I think, I hope it's blue, uh, blue, white, white. I'm afraid they're going to go blue, white, blue, which would be uh, really ugly. I hate I hate when they go blue helmet, white shirt, blue pants. I think See, it's I, gross. I like that combo. Personally. I think it's I think it's nasty. I think it's not <laughs> in not a good way nasty. I think it's bad nasty. Um, to each their own, man. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So we haven't played in the dome since 2005. Marcus Hagens was our quarterback, okay. and I'm pretty sure we wore blue, white, blue in that game. I'm I'm digging way back in the memories here. Okay, but I'm pretty sure we wore blue, white, blue that game. Okay. I'll trust you. I'll trust you on that. I have no concept of of that game or <laughs> or anything. I was uh, I was a little too young. But anyway, uh, that's it for us. Rob, any any <laughs> other shout outs? Things to things to talk about? Uh, yeah. So one, just to confirm they did wear blue, white, blue that game. So congrats. Maybe we'll do it. That was an ugly game. I do remember that game sadly. Uh, <laughs> no, I would just say I'm excited about. One of the great things that I enjoy every football season, especially early in the season, is seeing who are the new guys that step up. Mm-hmm. And last year was like some, kind of some upperclassmen, you know, having Jelani Woods new was mm-hmm. big. Dontavian Wicks was fun. Uh, but I'm really enjoyed seeing the younger guys that are capitalizing on their chances to play. You know, Lex yeah. Long, um, Jonas Sanker just come right off the back. But there's a lot of guys that, didn't have roles on prior years teams that are making the most of their roles right now. So for me, that's been a lot of fun to see. Yeah, I I agree with that. I want to give a shout out to the women's soccer team. Just beat number two UNC on the road three to two. Uh, It was the first time ever that the UNC women's soccer team had a multi-goal lead and lost in the same game. So uh, suck it, Rob. Your your new team sucks, and UVA is better. So go who's. <laughs> well, go who's on that, man. Yeah. Um, but with that, I think we're done for today. It's been a long pod, so thanks for sticking with us. This is Guys and Ties Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. You can also follow us on Instagram and Snapchat for any bonus content that Rob <laughs> might put out there <clears throat> at Guys and Ties Pod. Uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Spotify or iTunes if you want to keep listening. And we will see y'all hopefully next week, maybe next time. Depends on our schedule. But anyways, (laughs) go who's beat Syracuse. Go who's.